Discover community. Find hope and experience God. This is Discovering Hope with Pastor Paul Knight. So this second grade teacher had gathered her second grade students and she wrote on the board, the, the, the whiteboard, the word magnet. And then she took out a magnet and she demonstrated to the kids how magnets pull things towards them. How they, if you have two magnets, they can push things apart and all those things. And, and then the next day she decided to give the kids a written test. The questions went like this. My full name has six letters. The first one is M. I pick things up. What am I? You know the answer, right? 50% of the kids said, Mother. <laughs> right? Because I pick things up. Uh, so so my, my favorite definition of a mother is, is this. It was, it was a young mother who was feeling the pressure of uh, the people around her. Right? And this lady came up to her and, and asked her in, in a condescending tone, And what is it you do? The mother responded this way, I am socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into a kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. And the mom turned to the other lady and says, And what is it you do? Right? Moms are amazing. I saw a list of essential workers. Here's what was wrong with that list. You weren't on it as mothers. Right? So, so you feel essential, don't you, moms? Like, like you are the most essential workers on the face of the earth because you're shaping the culture of tomorrow. Okay, we're going to pause right here. Because everybody looks like stone struck. Would you just give the moms another round of applause? Because here's what's going on. We are living in a crazy, crazy time for parenthood. Right? We, we have this pandemic. We have, you can't go here. You have to go here. You have to wear this. You don't have to wear this. You have to get this. You have to do all this stuff. And it's, it's like, like, like our kids are drowning in stuff. Drowning in anger. Drowning in pornography. Drowning in depression. Drowning in darkness. Drowning in expectation. Drowning in here and there and all around us. And you wonder, how can I raise kids? How can I do this in this time? Can you imagine what it has been like for mothers in the past? Let me go all the way back to the book of Exodus. The mothers who were raising their children under the slavery of Egypt. Where you didn't know as a parent what your kid was going to encounter when they went out into the, to work. To, to slave. And we've had that all through our history, right? Different times where, where being a parent was filled with all kinds of fear and wonder. What's going to happen? How do I do this? If you know the story, if you remember the story, the people of Israel had come under the leadership of Joseph, who was an Israelite. He had come, had been sold by his brothers in, into Egypt. He became a ruler of Egypt, and he, and the Israelites all came for food. And gradually over time, the Pharaoh forgot who Joseph was and began to look at all the Israelites and realized they were multiplying themselves. And he looked at these foreigners in his land and he said, we need to enslave them and we need to treat them harshly and, and 
do all kinds of things so that, so that, so that they don't like capture and join with our enemies and capture us and destroy us. And so he put, the, the, the Pharaoh put all of these Israelites under bondage, under slavery, and built uh, cities with them and, and pyramids. And, 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 and then as they began to continue to be blessed under the hand of God, the Pharaoh ordered this. He said to the midwives, midwives being those catchers, come on baby, come on baby, come on. That's inappropriate. Right? These midwives being the ladies who helped deliver. He ordered the midwives to, if a baby is born and it's a girl, celebrate. If it's a boy, kill it. Can you imagine? Like, I know we read these things in the Bible and we think, we kind of just brush over, but can you imagine living in a culture where they destroy infants? Like, what kind of sickness would permeate a land where that would be the rule? And how do you live with that kind of oppression? And then the, the midwives, what, what they would do is they decided not to do that. And they explained to the Pharaoh, it's, it's because the, the, the Israelite women are so strong, they, they deliver before we get there. And so the Pharaoh does this, the Pharaoh does this. He, he notices that all these little boys are still multiplying. And he says this, every time a little boy is born, throw it into the Nile River. If it's a girl, save it. But can you imagine living? He didn't give that order to the midwives. He gave that to the culture, to all the people. He said to the people of the land, if you See a little Hebrew boy throw it into the river. Can you imagine walking down the streets? Can you imagine living and walking along the countryside and knowing that people could come and grab your child and throw it into a river and be justified by the law? That's a weird culture. That's a crazy culture. How do you raise people like that in that kind of culture? That's what I want to talk about. And and I realize that, that some of you feel like your kids are drowning as well. They're drowning in all kinds of stuff. How do we raise children? Or how do we pray for our children who are raising children? Or how do we how do we help our grandchildren raise children? How do we live in a culture where it feels like the whole movement of culture is away from the values that you hold dear? Is is, is moving away from the God you depend on? How do do we do that? And so I want to look at at, at this story. And uh, it's it's found in Exodus chapter 1 and 2. And I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to read bits and pieces of it. But here's the thing. I want to talk about being a great mother. And I realize some of you have no opportunity to do that, right? Because you're guys. Right? Or, or maybe you've been unable to have kids. So here, here's what I'm doing. In the sermon notes, you can choose, instead of writing mothers, you can write people. Right? It's the great, great moms of faith or great people of faith. And these, when you hear these, I don't want these to be like a guilt thing. I really don't. I, want you, I don't want you to hear them like, oh, I should have done that better. You can, as long as you're still breathing, align yourself to these truths and aspire to these truths. You can align yourself to these truths or aspire to these truths. They may not be true in you now. You can start to align yourself and you can aspire, but don't do it out of guilt. Do it out of affection and love and aspiration to do a great job being a follower of Jesus. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. I pray, God, by your grace and mercy that you'd speak. 
God, that you'd help us. Help us to live up into who we are in you. And for those of us who aren't in you yet, God, help us learn how to align our lives with your love and your affection. In Jesus' name. To be great people of faith. Let, let, me, let me set up the context again. Let me just read it from Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 through 14. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them. With forced labor, and they built Pitam and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And all this time, the people are crying out to God to deliver them. Here's the first point. Great moms of faith, great people of faith, don't live under the circumstances. They don't live under the circumstances. See, what happens when you live under the circumstances, it blocks your view of Christ. When you get under the circumstances, it blocks your vision of Christ. When you get under the circumstances, it darkens your soul. And, and, and what the invitation is to punch through the circumstances. And just even if, if you can't get out completely from punch through, let the light of Jesus come in and grab the hand of God. No matter what you're under. Right? The people of Israel were crying out to God, help us, help us, help us. And, 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 and here's the truth, man. The circumstances for some of us... They would crush even the greatest person apart from Christ. Some of you live in circumstances where your house is very dark. Some of you live in circumstances where where your house is very oppressed. Some of us live in circumstances where, where the things that are going on around us from our past keep seeping into the foundations of our beings and and it's, it's causing discord and discouragement and darkness. And it would make sense to the person around you to say, of course, of course you have a horrible circumstance. It would make sense for you, apart from Christ, to be living in despair. Some of you, the circumstance of rejection, of loneliness... Of loneliness even in a house full of people. Great people of faith. Great moms of faith. Don't live under the circumstances. They punch through and they grab the hand of God and say, Please help me. Give me trust. I look at Rahab in the Bible. Rahab, some of you may know her story. She was an amazing mom, I would think. Right? Think of the circumstances. So let, me, let me tell you. Rahab, you read about her in the book of Joshua. Rahab ran an inn, like a little hotel for men. Right? She, she, she was basically, as we look back in history, she was a, a prostitute. But she had heard about God and she decided to align herself with Him. Decided to aspire to being a follower after God's own heart. And she allowed the spies from Israel to come into her home and she protected them from the culture that wanted to kill them. And God preserved her life 
she became a foreigner living amongst the Israelites. Can you imagine? A foreigner who was a woman of ill repute living amongst this people who were holy. Think of the circumstances she had to overcome. She married a man. They had a son. His name was Boaz. If you know the story, Boaz married Ruth. There's a book in the Bible named after Ruth. Ruth had a son who had a son who had a son whose dad gave, not his dad, whose mother gave birth to King David. King David was an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing that God would take someone like Rahab and through her faithfulness and her trust in him for her living out from under the circumstances, she became an ancestor of Jesus Christ. God could have chosen any lineage and she's in it. I know some of us think, man, my circumstances, the, the choices I've made in my past dictate who I am. To, that, that's not true. That's not true. The choice to not live under our circumstances. I, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a no-brainer. I, you have to punch. Here, here's one of the tips on how to live out from under our circumstances. It's to anticipate the blessing of God. It's the anti- Great people of faith don't live under the circumstances, but live a courageous anticipation of God's blessings. We know, many of us know this, at least I hope we know this, that God can take any situation and transform its meaning in our life. God can take anything and, and use it for His glory. Romans 8.28 says, says this, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. That in all things, all things, that God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. I can anticipate in the midst of the circumstances as I punch my hand through, grab the hand of God, punch through, cry out. I can do that knowing, knowing that the God of the universe will make this a blessing. You don't have to believe that. That's your choice. But great people of faith, or people who want to align themselves with the great faith, or people who aspire to great faith, they don't allow themselves to live under the circumstances. I remember hearing when I was in college about a professor from Dallas Theological Seminary who taught Christian education. His name was Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks became one of the guys that I love to listen to. Howard Hendricks had a student come up to his desk and he looked at her and he says, so how are you doing today? She says, well, under the circumstances. And she goes, I'm okay. And he goes, what are you doing for under the circumstances? Get out from under them. It's choice. I, I realize for some of us it's a battle. But the anticipation. Here's the other thing. Another principle that you can do. It, it, it's, it's this passage from Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a massive, massive choice maker that says, I don't want to be blocking Christ by my circumstances. I want to learn to rejoice in Him. Because even, no matter what the circumstances, there's always something in God that we can find joy in. 
But we can always present our request to Him with thanksgiving. And, and we can always say, God, You promise. You promise if I rejoice in You, and if I pray to You, if I ask You for help, You promise to guard my heart and my mind in Christ. And God, I don't want to live under the circumstances and have your son, Jesus Christ, blocked out. The Israelites, they would have had a thousand reasons to live under them. You can find person after person after person after person after person in the Bible that had all kinds of reasons to live under the circumstances. But to learn to anticipate God's blessing... And to learn to rejoice in Him is huge. I want to invite us to a proclamation. Would you repeat after me? I will not live under my circumstances. Okay, we're going to do that again. Right? I will not live under my circumstances. I will anticipate God's blessing. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will not live under my circumstances. I will anticipate God's blessings. I will rejoice in the Lord. That's characteristic number one. The choice, the difficult choice for some of us because of so much to not live under our circumstances. Here's the, here's the second. Great moms of faith, great people of faith, live with a, listen to this, live with a healthy, a healthy fear of God. Great people who live of faith live with a healthy fear of God. Listen to this from Exodus chapter 1, verse 15 to 22. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. Just let that soak in for a second, how how weird that is. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. See, the fear of the Lord is the choice in our hearts to say, I want the magnitude and the majesty of God to be so huge in my life. That any rule, any requirement, any law, any any decision, any request that goes against his desire, I will choose him over my own safety and security. The fear of the Lord is the choice to say, I want God's magnitude and majesty to be so huge for me. That even if it's a risk of my safety and security, I will obey him. And obedience is always driven by love. I want the fear of God to be so real to me. His majesty and magnitude to be so large in my heart. That I'll choose to obey him over every other thing. And my obedience is always driven by love. The fear of the Lord. These ladies who at their own personal risk of safety and security. Defied. The rule of the land. Some of us have trouble defining even the rule of our own minds. 
in our own hearts. We have these desires, these wishes, these hopes, these dreams. And we know for some of us that the fulfillment of that desire will go directly contrary to the desires of God. The only reason that's possible in our hearts to make that choice is if we have a diminished view of who God is. We don't understand His love. We don't understand that love is connected to obedience. That our obedience it comes out of a clear understanding of the majesty and magnitude of God. That if we want to have great faith, matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, and by the way, we're going to go through a series in the book of Proverbs starting in, in I think, two, two, three weeks. It's going to be life hacks. Life hacks. Wisdom for how to live your daily life with Christ. Right? In Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, which this is going to be the first uh, passage that we're going to look at as a group. The fear of the Lord, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In, in if, uh, Proverbs, I think it's chapter, uh, it's another proverb. I can't, I, boop, it's gone. Right? Another proverb says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Some of us have this thing in our heart about spiritual things. I just don't get it. I just don't understand. I just don't know. Maybe we start with saying, God, help me understand in a healthy way your magnitude and your majesty so that I appropriately fear you so that I can start to understand so that I can gain wisdom. One of our confirmation kids, confirmation Sunday is next Sunday. She has as her life verse, Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. It says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And her prayer, and, and I love this, her prayer is that she's white hot for God. But that she has a clear understanding, sorry, of his magnitude and majesty. Think of how our parenthood would be changed if we could give our children a deep sense of God's magnitude and majesty and teach them obedience out of love for Him because of who He is. If we teach them a healthy reverence, a healthy love, not from just our words, but from lives that we'd look at and say, you know, my mom, my mom had a reverence for God because of the way she lived. And so, so I realize, like, like you may, ah, oh, I don't do that. No. Just start to align yourself with Christ and aspire to be who He dreams you to be. Don't, don't heap guilt on. That, that's not the point. But the point is to learn to reverence Him. I, I have a proclamation statement. Will you, will you repeat it after me? I will live toward a healthy fear of God. I will live toward a healthy fear of God. Here's the next one. The next one is, is this statement. Oh my goodness. Number three, great people of faith, great moms of faith, live a creative, culture-defying courage. Great moms of faith, great people of faith, live a creative, culture-defying courage. Let me tell you where I get this. So, you know, you know the story, many of you, right? Some of you don't know the story. Moses' mom, the command was to throw the babies into the to Nile River, right? That was the command. 
in her creative way, she obeyed. Pharaoh said nothing about throwing them in a basket first. Right? She made this basket. She made this basket. She lined it with tar and pitch. It, it, it's just, in the Hebrew language, it's the same word that we get the word ark from. Right? She made this basket, and she, in obedience, threw her baby into the Nile River in a basket. Right? And then her daughter's there watching, and her daughter makes sure that as Pharaoh's daughter picks up baby Moses and starts wondering, oh, this is such a cute baby. Right? Uh, and and she, Pharaoh says, well, who's going to nurse her? Miriam, Moses' sister. Well, I know a lady. I know a lady. So Moses' mom, Jacobed, gets to nurse her son for pay. <laughs> I like it. That's brilliant. That's, that's a creative culture-defying courage. Right? Let, let me read, read the passage. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine... This is, by the way, the same thing that my mother had, the experience my mom had when she had me. When she saw that he was a fine child... <laughs> Right? It's the same thing. My mother looked and said, Oh my goodness, compared to his brothers, look, this is a fine child. Right? By the way, who's, who, which, mother, which mother looks and says, Oh my goodness, that's ugly. Like moms don't do that, right? Like you've seen babies. I mean, in your right mind, you've seen babies. When like you, like I, I would never do this as a pastor. Go see a, a mother and say, Oh my goodness, pray for healing for that child. <laughs> Cosmetically, right? He looks just like his father. Oh my God. You don't do that. Every mother looks at their baby. I'm, okay, I'm sorry. Every mother looks at the baby and says, that's a fine child. Because there's something about the drugs and all the pain and all that stuff. I don't, I don't know. Okay. This has nothing to do with the message. Right? Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. Jacobed is her name. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she, But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her favorite slave, to, female slave to get, one, get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? That's a brilliant sister. Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. <laughs> So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. I love this story because this is, this is creative cultural defiance and courage. This is a mom, a set of parents, who said, you know what? We're not going to give in to the drowning of our children we're not going to let them. We're not going to let them sink under the waves of a culture that defies God. And it does. It takes some creativeness. It takes some skill as parents to say, you know what? We're going to, in our home, we're going to live with joy. We're not going to let our home slip into darkness. We're going to work as parents and as children to say, you know what? We're going to listen to things that help lift us up. 
We're going to play music that's going to help us be inspired to live the way God wants us to live. We're not going to, we're not going to let the darkness... We're, we're going to live with our family as a priority. We're going to learn how to do the kinds of things that families do. And some of us, we were raised by families who didn't know how families do it. And so we'll have to learn harder. We'll have to be creative. We'll have to think through courageously. When the pressure of everything else is to go one direction... We have to push ourselves in the other direction and say, we're going to do this creatively and with courage. We're going to defy the culture that says that you can't do this. We're going to fill our homes with songs of praise. We're going to learn to worship together. And some of you have had to do that over the last couple months, right? Some of you, like, because you couldn't come to church or whatever's going on, right? You learned in your homes to do that. And, you, and some, of, some of you sat and thought about worship. And others of you learned to stand up or to sit down or however you did it to actually worship while you were watching worship. Right? It, it took courage. Somebody, here's an idea. What if, what if, you know, we want our kids to learn God's word, but they also have all this screen time they're supposed to do and want to do and, and are begging to do. What if we said, we'll trade screen time for scripture time? You memorize this passage of scripture, you get a half hour of screen time. Right? Just, I don't know. Just, just creative t- ways that we can learn to tell the culture that the culture doesn't get to be in charge. But just like these people back here, the culture may be telling you how awful you have it given your situation in life. You tell the culture how amazing your God is given the the provision he has given you for your life. See, it's, it's the choice. It's the choice, again, to say culture. It's like this. I'm I'm discovering as the lead pastor of this church that part of my responsibility that I've been trying to live for the last couple years is to be a cultural architect. To be a cultural architect, that we get to shape the culture of our team. It's the same with parenting. You are a cultural architect. You get to shape the culture of your home. You get to decide what's true and what's not true. And what will be true and what won't be true. One one other little thing that I just want to point out to us. The Nile River was a representation of destruction and death for the Hebrew people. And God used it as a place of deliverance. God changed its meaning from death and destruction to deliverance. It is, by the way, the same for the cross. The culture in the days of Christ had a cross that represented destruction and death. And God changed its meaning into a place of deliverance. It's, it's that ability for God to change something. Here's the fourth. By the way, could we do this? I want to live a creative, culture-defying courage. A creative, culture-defying courage. I want to live a creative, culture-defying courage. The culture doesn't get to decide. The culture doesn't get to decide. Okay, let's try that again. The culture doesn't get to decide the culture of my home. Number four. Great moms of faith, great people of faith live a transferable faith. They live a transferable faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 and 28, let me just read the first part about it. By faith Moses, it says, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt. 
because he's looking ahead to his reward. Great moms of faith live a, transfer, great live a transferable faith. That, that we live it in such a way that we embed it in the life of our children as parents. And I don't know if, like, when I look at Moses' life, I realize there was a point where Moses' mom, Jechebed, gave her son to someone else to raise. The circumstances of her life required that. But I wonder what she did prior to that. Here's what I'm guessing. I'm just guessing this. I'm guessing that as she nursed her baby, she sang about her Heavenly Father. I'm guessing as she nursed her infant, she talked about the wonders of God and creation. I'm guessing she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. It says that Moses was brought up in the teachings of the Egyptians as a young, uh, young child and as a teenager. I'm guessing that about killed his parents. That his mom and dad, watching him learn how to act like an Egyptian. Don't go to the song yet. Must have just like gripped their heart. But I'm guessing she leaned into the faith that she'd embedded in him. And she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. And then she watched her son walk away from his roots as a follower of God. I'm guessing she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. I don't know when she passed away, but imagine if she was alive and she heard the story about her son taking his fist and beating another man to death and being required to be exiled. How it broke her heart to realize she may not see him in the fields. Here's what I'm guessing. She prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed for him to return to the roots of his heavenly father. Just like some of you whose kids, whose children are living away from the roots that you've sought to embed in them. This transferable faith, not just a faith that you talked about, but a faith that you lived in front of them. It says in Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he or she will go. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child. Like, like, take a small child and begin to tie them to the trellis of faith. And they may wander like a wild shoot for a while. But you pray, and you pray, and you pray that God brings them back. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, and with all your might. These words that I command you today are to be on your heart, like on you as a parent. You put them in you first oozing out. You shall teach, instruct them, train them. Teach them diligently to your children and talk about them when you sit at your house and when you walk along the way and when you lie down. Make the things of God a part of your everyday life. You shall bind them as a sign on your forehead and shall be as the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That you're saying, I want my faith 
be embedded in everything I do so that it will be transferable to my kids. Even if they wander, we pray and we pray and we pray. Pray for their salvation. If they've wandered, pray for their return to relationship with the Lord. Pray that you would not get stuck under your circumstances. Pray that your personal faith would be white hot. Pray for creative courage in protecting your children. Pray that your faith, pray that your faith will have influence on them. Could we do this proclamation? I will seek to have a transferable faith. I will seek to have a transferable faith. Happy Mother's Day.